You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 73rd episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave me a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at the Relationship Center on Facebook or Instagram. Today, I have a very special show planned where I will be interviewing a man I greatly admire, Steve Hammond. Steve serves as the founding principal of St. Patrick's Catholic School, a 16-year-old Glasser Quality School in Norfolk, Virginia, and the only Catholic GQS in the United States. Dr. Glasser personally was present for the declaration of St. Patrick Catholic School as a Glasser Quality School. Prior to starting St. Patrick's School, Hammond served in many roles throughout Catholic and independent schools. He's helped start five of the schools in addition to St. Patrick's School. Steve is on the faculty of the William Glasser Institute and has provided many conference presentations and keynotes over the years. Steve sees the mission of education as empowering children and youth to seek truth, quality, and goodness in attaining their highest destiny. Thank you so much for being here, Steve. It is a pleasure to be with you, Kim. Thanks for the invitation. Awesome. Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about your career in education. It's extensive. Well, my career in education started in 1973 when I was getting ready to graduate college with a major in biology and uh, getting ready to take my MedCats when the principal of my former high school called and asked me to take a biology teaching position because his teacher had left for a pharmaceutical job, which I did basically because Renee and I, having been married for two years, were both going to school, trying to work, and had no money. So <laughs> having, having a few bucks in our pockets sounded pretty good, and it didn't take much to convince her of it. My professors were kind enough to actually give me independent studies so I could take this job, which I did. And it's one of those things that God laughs when you're planning, right? Because it's, <laughs> I had uh, that one decision, that one happenstance, if you will, turned my entire life around. Because a couple of years later, after the principal asked me to continue with teaching biology to sophomores, that's a trip. Then uh, <laughs> I bet it is. <laughs> it is. You know, sophomore comes from two Greek words. One is sophos, which means wise. The other is moros, which means fool. So, <laughs> That's the perfect description of 10th grade kids. <laughs> I kind of always thought so. So at any rate, but the, but the thing was, I absolutely fell in love with it. You fall in love with the kids, of course, and the myriad of personalities and their issues and their joys and triumphs, but their, but their difficulties and challenges and loved working with kids. About that time, Renee and I, we had one of our talks and, you know, she said, I said, you know, I want to abandon this medical dream and I really want to stay in education. And I didn't think she'd take it so well, actually, but she said, really, anything you want, I'll support. And that started truly my career, if you will, in education. So from that time on, by and large, I've served as a teacher, as a coach, as a high school principal, as a elementary, middle school principal, president, 
an independent school superintendent. So it's been a long and a wonderful career. And I, I have to say that I, I have enjoyed every single minute of it. What I like best is working with kids. I love working with kids and using whatever subject that I happen to be teaching as just a medium for getting to the important stuff. And that means how you teach children to think wisely, to choose wisely, and to help them through their triumphs and their, and their challenges. That's certainly what I'm most drawn to. That's terrific. And, you know, as a relationship person, I can't let it pass without noticing what a gift your wife gave you when she said, whatever you want, I will support. That is just a beautiful thing. And I don't hear that a lot from married couples. You've been married more than a year or two, haven't you? This uh, next October the 1st, it's coming October the 1st, we will have been married 50 years. Woohoo! And you know what I love about that? I know I know some people who are married 50 years and they hardly speak to each other. But knowing you and Renee, you guys genuinely seem to still enjoy each other and like each other, not just love each other, which is a beautiful thing. You know, that's true. And, you know, we do have this, you know, unabiding respect, but also it's built on the fact that, you know, she really stays in great shape. And I'm pretty sure she can whip me in a fair fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it just increases that respect just a little. <laughs> That's funny. It's funny because I know Renee, but I know there's way more to it than that. <laughs> so, Steve, what do you like best about being in the field of education? Basically, you know, it's what I said. I, I, what I like best is working with people and working with their real issues. I think that the subjects that we teach, although important, undeniably important, critical path stuff, but they're really media. They're just ways to help children and youth grow, grow in their ability to live a good life. So that's what I'm drawn to mostly. You know, I've given a lot of workshops and the like, and for new teachers, I'll always ask them, well, everybody has that one teacher that they love, that one teacher that has turned their life around. When I mentioned that to a classroom of teachers, you know, that heads start bobbing up and down. Yep, everybody has a quality world picture of that one person that really was instrumental in forming their lives. And then I asked him, I said, what is the one thing that that person gave you that just totally transformed your life? And you know, of all the years I've asked that question, not one person has ever said a subject or a discipline. <laughs> Nobody's come back and said, you know, it was really, Steve, it was, it was higher math. <laughs> it was chemistry. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It's true, though. Well, it's true. And you know what they do say is, you know, Mrs. Jones, Mr. Smith, whoever, they believed in me. They gave me confidence. They gave me hope. They cared about me, and I knew that. They gave me a certain discipline that I was able to really push through some of the tough things in life. They gave me perseverance. It's those types of things. It's those non-academic characteristic traits and values, virtues, if you will, 
that's what great teachers do. And that's what we remember in those teachers. The other stuff is transactional. This is transformational. Wow, very true. I have a teacher in my background. I'm thinking of as you ask the question. So absolutely. What was it that drew you to Dr. Glasser's teachings? When I first came across Dr. Glasser's, just the just his name and some of his concepts, I think it was in prob probably 1970 or 19, somewhere in there, 69 through 71. And I, I just happened to see this book, A Rogue kind of circumstance. I looked down in the university bookstore and I saw this book and it was Schools Without Failure. And I thought to myself, what a plue perfect stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? I mean, I came from a highly external power driven culture. And I thought this is the silliest thing I have ever heard of in my life. But there it was, you know, just looking at me in the face, this book. So I had to pick it up. That was good marketing on Dr. Glasser's part. I couldn't even keep it down. <laughs> so I had to pick it up and I scanned it and I started reading it right there in the bookstore. And doggone it, his ideas were remarkable. I said, this guy really has something to say here. This is really powerful stuff. And then I put it down and I really didn't hear about Glasser for another, no, I don't know, 17 years or so. Oh, okay. I went about my life and, you know, you know my story about getting into education and medical dream, but I had a fellow that uh, was a influential, a university professor that never mentioned Dr. Glasser by name. His name was Dr. Bill Butterfield brilliant fellow. He absolutely lived choice theory. He lived reality therapy, and I'm sure he borrowed a lot. He was very eclectic, but he borrowed a lot from Bill Glasser, and I was highly, highly influenced by him and his methods and philosophies. When I did get to know on a more formal level, you know, had basic and you know, advanced training and the like, I really understood it in more depth. But what I was drawn to really, first of all, is the spirituality of choice theory. It has a whole spiritual element of how you treat people, how you respect people. We were talking about respect, how you're patient with people, how you talk to people is undergirded with this a spiritual element of love and belonging and care. It's just the same as in my studies of, you know, religion over the years, it hearkens the same values that uh, they're at the core of those religious practices. Although this is, of course, non-faith-based, it offers to the entire world a way of living and understanding human behavior, of working through difficulties of the most challenging type in a way that's peaceful, that's loving, kind connecting. And I think that's what I was really, really drawn to. Yeah, me too. I like that part as well. So Steve, one of the things that I know about you, I didn't witness firsthand, but someone I was training, I sent to your school. Actually, they were working with Lucy Billings and Lucy sent them to your school. And he came back and he told me about this man that he had met at St. Patrick's Catholic School. And it was you. 
And he said, I'm telling you, he walked down the hall in that school and the kids couldn't wait. They'd run out of their classroom to give him a hug when they saw him in the hallway. He said, I never once wanted to hug a principal. So I don't know what the heck that's about, but that man has something really special. I'm sure you have some stories about some kids that you've worked with that as much as teachers influence children, there are children who truly influence teachers. You have anything like that to share with the audience? <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> Not enough, yeah, I'm yeah. sure, but give me some. <laughs> yeah. I want you to know, you know, I, I do, I love kids. I love being with kids and I love the different ages and how they talk and what they talk about and just getting to know those particular qualities of children and just kind of reveling in it is just a lot of fun. Connect with them at the level they are with. By the way, they would come, you know, and we were a hugging school. And I'm sure that having peppermint in my pockets didn't hurt that one bit. <laughs> you think you bribed them for a hug, huh? They hugged you to get the peppermint? Yeah, it was all Skinnerian. <laughs> Somehow I don't buy that. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that. But yeah, I think part of it is reveling in kids, enjoying them, lifting them up, celebrating them, giving them justifiable, authentic praise, making them know that they're worth more than anything in the entire universe. I got to have a story here for you. And this is a story that this little fellow, third grade he's out on the playground and he sat on mary on the playground now mary is a tough little hombre and she can play with the boys toe to toe but somehow george sat on mary and it made her cry so the teacher sent this little one george in to see me i asked to see all the other boys in the on the playground because everybody was saying that George sat on Bella and Bella hurt Bella and he was denying it. So we're in my office now, picture this, all the kids, you know, they're in different chairs and on the couches and some of them are standing up and like a whole passel of little third grade boys. I saw George over there. I said, George, everybody seems to think that you sat on Bella. I mean, sat on Mary. And, and George said, I didn't do it. I didn't sit on her. Everybody seems to think you did. Maybe you did. I didn't. Hmm. I said, well, that didn't work. I said, <laughs> I said, I think I'm going to go back to, you know, one of Glasser's primary tenants in a Glasser quality school. I said, George, you're not in trouble and you're not going to get punished. He said, I did it. Oh, that's so true. I, I always tell people the reason kids lie is to protect themselves from the consequences. You want kids to tell the truth, you have to promise you won't hurt them. <laughs> Truly, that's amazing. I did it. I love it. I told him then, I said, George, I guess we can kind of get down to like patching up this relationship, huh? And he goes, yeah, I guess we can. We kind of worked out a little thing or George did on like how he could get with Bella and what he wanted to tell her and which they did and as far as I know they still like each other that's terrific I love that so Steve I know over the years I've been to your school and you do something special that I've never heard of anywhere else is called your journey portfolio can you share with our listeners what that's about well I think everybody that knows 
choice theory and reality therapy, they know that it's highly reflective. Choice theory, you're reflecting on needs, you're reflecting on perceptions, you're reflecting on choices, et cetera. And if you put any time in it at all, it's just very introspective. And reality therapy is very introspective as well. I mean, the whole thing is introspection, looking into yourself. So the journey portfolio is a portfolio that whoever comes into the school starts this journey portfolio and they carry it with them the entire time they're here. And they reflect on their work and then they reflect on a whole curriculum of things that uh, we ask them to reflect on. But they look at that work and they say, well, I think I'm doing really well in this. Or just as important, I'm not doing well at all in this. And they talk about it, they reflect on it. And if they're not doing as well as they want, they reflect, well, how can I do better? What happens as a result of that, they start to become better familiar with themselves, the way they think, the way they act. They start to be able to think critically critical thinking, which is so important. And then they understand that it's not whether you've done really well, because you don't want to really get all puffed up about all the things you can do well, but you don't want to beat yourself up also because you haven't done so well. And they're treated just the same. What important thing is that the kids come up with how I can do better. What have I learned from this and how I can do better? Quality always improves. Can you imagine we get kids for a whole decade if they come in when they're four years old. Can you imagine how transformative that is if a child did that for 10 years, reflecting on their actions non-judgmentally and coming up with ways to do better? Totally transformational. And so that's what the purpose of the journey portfolio is. And I think every kid should have one. It's not just for the time they're in school, right? It teaches a life skill that they get to take with them forever and ever. Absolutely transformative. I love that. How do you deal with homework in the Glasser Quality School? We minimize it. We do have homework, but we ask that it not be given unless it's absolutely necessary and that it's differentiated if it is given people on both sides of the distal curve to differentiate it. And it's not graded. So it can't count as part of the final mark. Because what do you really want? I mean, homework is a good reinforcer. And sometimes there's purposes for homework. But all too often, teachers can get overzealous with homework. And some teachers think it's somehow an attribute to give pile-on homework which is absolutely silly. It's counterproductive. But then if you don't grade it, you're really seeing the test really represent then what the child can do and or what he can't do. It's a better picture of what their performance and their understanding, their knowledge actually is. We've done that since we started and haven't heard a peep, no pushback whatsoever. So parents don't push back about that? No. Occasionally, you'll have an isolate here or there that they just don't understand it. But after they come in and we sit down and talk about it, you always ask, especially in anything glass or quality school, how would you like to have been treated when you were coming up? And you start asking those kind of questions and people go, oh, yeah. 
If they can remember. <laughs> Some yeah. parents forget what it's like to be a child. I really believe that. So it makes it harder for them to do the switch. You can't go back to the Pleistocene without some memory erosion. <laughs> it's true. So what do you think for you is the best thing about the Glasser Quality School program, be becoming a Glasser Quality School? Empowering children, celebrating, nurturing, empowering. I underscore empowering children because we want to give kids roots, right? Roots to make great foundations and to understand what's important in life. But as parents and school teachers, we know then you just have to turn right around and give them wings so that they can fly because you only have them for a little while, whether they're your own children or grandchildren or whether they're your students. You have to let go of their hand at some time and they're going to walk out that door. And when you do, you want them to be independent, competent, quality focused and ready for life, ready for the next stage. Is there something you do around that concept of fear that you think might help kids be able to reach that level of empowerment? That's a great question. Absolutely. To create a Glasser Quality School, a joyous place, and therefore a place of high confidence from the children, high confidence for everybody that's associated with the community, you have to eliminate fear as much as you can. I think we in society don't talk about the elimination of fear as much as we should because talking about fear is scary. Yes, it want, is. As a counselor, you know, I know you know that. We don't want to talk about our fears because we're scared to death of them sometimes. That's why FDR said we have nothing to fear but fear itself. If you have an environment where there's no failure and you tell the kids that we're going to stick with you until you can learn this, and we know you can learn this because we have absolute confidence in you. If there's no fear of failure there and there's no punishment, so you're not going to have to lie and fear about your lying and all that sort of thing, then you come up with kids that are honest, that are confident, and they can make a mistake and not feel bad about it. They don't fall into that horrible trap of perfectionism. And what that equates to is a joyous place place where people don't have to fear. They'll get enough fear from their home life or their outside environmental life, whatever it is, because you can pick up that out there. But inside those school doors, we don't need it. And it's not good for kids. That's beautiful. So I would imagine that in order to create that, of course, you need to work with your teachers, but do you also need to work with students to create that culture of no fear? Because I know in my school, there was a pecking order, right? <laughs> in every school, it seems. Not so much at St. Patrick's. What do you do that helps with that? I think it is accumulative. There's a lot of things we do about that. In solving every problem that we have, whether it's academic or behavioral, we pitch to the kids to use reality therapy to come up with a solution. So they're immersed in reality therapy. We call it success planning. They're immersed in it. That means that they're immersed in an honest reflection, introspection of themselves. So they can be honest and they're trained to be honest. And again, the no punishment, no reward. Again, it's an honesty. You can enter into this environment and be yourself. 
be totally yourself and it's okay. The journey portfolio, again, reflection on self and what is real. And if we have difficulties, which of course you said, all schools, anytime you put a few people together, they're going to squabble, but you get them together and you use reality therapy basically to help the group solve their problem. I had two eighth graders come into my office one time. Oh, and were they ever at each other? as only eighth grade girls can be. The fur was flying, it's squabbling and everything. And I said, well, come on in. And I pulled my chair way back into the corner and they sat down on the couch next to each other and they're just going at it. Finally, they noticed that I wasn't talking. And so they looked over and we had this moment of kind of silence. We're all looking at each other. And I said, what do you want? And they looked at each other and looked back at me and said, what do you mean, what do you want? I said, well, what do you want out of your relationship? Isn't that why we're here? And they looked at each other. And they said the most amazing thing. They said, well, we want to be friends. I was scared for their lives about, <laughs> you know, a few minutes ago. And now they're telling me they want to be friends. And so I said, well, what do you think you can do to be better friends? And they started talking and it took a little bit of time, but after a while they turned around, I hadn't said a word. They turned around and said, you know, we can come up with a service project for our class and we can lead our class in a service project and we'll become better friends because we'll have to work together and all of that kind of stuff. And we'll do something that's a decent thing to do. Wow. I just got goosebumps thinking about that. That is amazing. Yeah. And so before they left, I said, well, would you just get back in touch with me and let me know how it goes? Oh, yeah, we'll do that. It's probably the most perfect example of reality therapy working in such an easy fashion. As you know, it's usually not nearly that easy, but it was that time. These two eighth grade girls, they were big talkers. I didn't need to say a whole lot. <laughs> so, Steve, I have a suspicion that when those students walk out your door, being the empowered young men and women that you send them out there to be, that you don't just say goodbye. How do you work with students after they graduate? We never say goodbye, although two things I would say. We emphasize when we do have to say goodbye, we emphasize on saying good goodbyes. So learning how to say a good goodbye is a part of our overarching curriculum. Because again, a lot of people are scared to say goodbye. They it's don't painful. want to. And some people will even sabotage the relationship so that they won't have to say goodbye. I see that a lot. Teaching children how to say good goodbyes, we emphasize that, especially at the end of the year when all of those goodbyes are coming up. And then the other thing, you know, our, our mascot is the wolfhound, the Irish wolfhound, St. Patrick, Irish, Irish wolfhound. So I gave that to the kids to come up with the mascot long years ago, and they came up with the Irish wolfhound. We just call it wolfhound. Now. We say once a wolfhound, always a wolfhound. And so they know that they always have a home back at the school. Nice. I think that you, to answer your question is that before those eighth graders go, they spend their whole eighth grade year planning for a panel presentation that's a graduation requirement. 
And in that panel presentation, which is deemed high quality work, this is not anything trifling. First semester, they write an essay on their growth and development while they were here. And then the second semester, they're trying to put this panel presentation together in a creative, engaging manner. And they'll stand up in front of a group of community leaders that range from university professors to lawyers, professionals, just in the area. We have principals from other schools come in and sit down. And they'll defend their growth and development for about 30 minutes, including question and answers. Now, can you imagine at 13, 14, standing up and defending your growth and development in front of a group of high-end professionals? Sounds terrifying to me when I think of my 13-year-old self. They're sweaty-palmed and they're shaky-kneed, that's for sure. But most of them aren't terrified because, you know, they've prepared all this time for it. I mean, if you prepare for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and then your whole eighth grade year for this moment. I mean, it's a big moment, but it's a created moment. That's important. Mm -hmm. The tension in this moment is all a creation because we want it to be something that is important and meaningful and a watershed event every time it is. The one thing that the graduates say on all the surveys or when they come back <laughs> is they say, the one thing you can't get rid of is the panel presentations because they say that we've never had that. Even college graduates, they'll come back and say, I've never had to do that since my eighth grade year. But it prepared me so much. He says, any speech I have to give at school, anything like that, any leadership role that I'm in, he says, it's not daunting because we've already been there. When they do that and they have to walk out their doors having that kind of confidence, having felt that kind of perseverance, having had to do that deep introspection, they, in as much as is possible with a 13 or 14-year-old child, they know themselves and they can say that I'm okay with it. I know I'll improve, but I'm okay being myself and I'm ready for the next step. What a gift. That's a gift that keeps on giving for a lifetime, Steve. That's beautiful. That so, takes us back to our beginning, right? I mean, what's the most important thing? Stephen Covey said, start with the most important things. Begin with the end of mind. Yep. Do you have any last comments you'd like to make to the audience before we close? I would say that if you're a teacher there and you're not in a glass or quality school, then you can have a glass or quality classroom you can make that classroom magic. You can make it a need-satisfying classroom where every child comes into your classroom. They see you as a quality world picture and they see the classroom as joyous. And when that happens, they're gonna perform. They're gonna perform because all their needs are being satisfied. It's fun to learn and that everything there, it's a recipe for high productivity. And it all starts with love and belonging, meeting those needs, power and achievement, meeting those needs, freedom, little freedom, meeting those needs. And if we're doing it right, then it's going to be fun. Glasser said that fun is a payoff for learning, and it is. So I would encourage you, teachers that are listening to this, to have a Glasser quality classroom. Any administrators that want to pursue having a Glasser quality school, it is 
an adventure of a lifetime. You enter into this and you will never, ever regret it because the school comes alive with love and belonging and fun and laughter. And what that is the groundwork for is productivity. That's great, Steve. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you that's listening to this, what's the best way? I would say that uh, the best way is through my email, which is claritycom100, C-L-A-R-I-T-Y-C-O-M and the number 100 at gmail.com. Claritycom100 at gmail.com. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much, Steve, for being here. This was a great interview. I knew it would be, and I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. Oh, it's a joy to be with you. Thank you for all the things that you're doing to teach the world choice theory. And I think you've been around the world several times now. So I know you've reached a whole lot of people. It's a joy to work with you and everybody out there. Teach the world choice theory. We can't go wrong going right. Call me if I can be a service. Terrific. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll be talking about the difference between discipline and punishment and imposed versus natural consequences. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.